You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is Terry Kilmer. Now, Terry is an avid outdoorsman and absolutely loves chasing after big bucks. And so we're going to talk all about that. I'm I'm super excited for this episode because he's traveled and had some really, really good success. I actually just watched his video on this hunt that we're about to cover. And it's pretty gnarly. I mean, this buck is a tank. And I don't want to spoil too much of it, but... Before we hop into the episode, I've got to let you know, I was driving home last night, my house sits on the corner of two roads, and when I made a right-hand turn, my my headlights kind of flashed out in the field, and I saw five sets of eyes out there, and I was like, no way, that's awesome. Five deer hanging out right in a spot where I plan to put a food plot, and so I'm I'm over the moon. I can't wait to hunt here this year, and I also, after talking with him, Plan to do some more traveling for whitetail. I travel a lot for different types of hunts, but whitetail, I don't spend a lot of time traveling different places, and I need to get up to Wisconsin for sure and hunt the rut up there this year. So maybe that's on the agenda for 2023. Either way, I'm excited to not talk about Missouri whitetail, but talk about big bucks in Wisconsin and other places that Terry has traveled. So let's jump into this episode right now. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got Terry Kilmer. Now, Terry is from Wisconsin, which it's it's always good and it always feels good to say they're from Wisconsin because there's a piece of my heart still in Wisconsin. But Terry, thanks for hopping on the show, man. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here for sure. Um, before we jump in, why don't you share with people maybe where are you from in Wisconsin and what kind of outdoor activities you're involved in up there? Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually from Hayward, Wisconsin, which for those of you who aren't familiar, is the north kind of in the northwestern uh, part of the state. Um, it's a really cool area, actually. I've lived about 98% of my life here. Um, 
but yeah, I, I grew up in a hunting family. My dad and grandpa are hunters. I mean, um, my dad is really the main reason I hunt though. He kind of was a huge influence on my life. Um, you know, showing me the way around the woods and yeah, that's, that's really how I got into it. And it's been a passion of mine ever since I was, you know, ever since I can remember really two or three years old, um, used to go with him, you know, rifle season is kind of, as, as you know, is kind of a holy week here. So yeah. that was, that was the most, antici- that was the most anticipated week of the year. Um, well still is, but yeah. So, you know, we would always, uh, dad would kick mom out of the bed night before opening day and i would get to sleep with dad you know as a kid and we would go out and so yeah it's 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 a it's definitely been a, a lifelong passion of mine it it got a little um put to the background and oh, through my high school years because i was playing baseball and that was kind of my passion through those years but all the way up to that point and you know ever since then once i once i realized that i wasn't good enough to play beyond high school then i kind of shifted my focus back to hunting so yeah, that's that's what I got for that. That's awesome. Uh, so, at what point did you get to start going out with him? Because I mean, I know for me, growing up, it was twelve years old that you could legally hunt, but now, mm-hmm. you know, that age—I I don't think there's an age restriction at all in Wisconsin, as long as you're with um, an adult or a mentor hunter. I think they call it. Um, at what point did you mm-hmm. start going out, and if not hunting? sitting in the woods with him yeah i was pretty young we didn't used to do like the all-day sits um till i was probably about i think nine years old was the first time i went and sat with him all day for for opening day of rifle okay. but i mean he used to take me scouting um when i was probably six seven squirrel hunting that was another thing which my dad is pretty much strictly a deer hunter um but for my sake he would you know kind of take me to traipse around the woods and so yeah, nine, nine, I think nine years old was the first, was the first all day sit I did with him. And then they actually changed the age restriction. Um, the year I turned 10, I, I'm not sure if they might've taken the age restriction away completely now, but they had changed it to 10 years old for a while. And it actually changed the year I turned 10. So that was, I remember, I very distinctly remember that morning, it was sometime in the summer and dad came up to my room and woke me up and he said, you'll never guess what they just did. And that's when he told me they changed. I was, I cannot tell you how excited I was to do <laughs> so that I was able to hunt. You know, I, I still thought I had, you know, two years left so I could hunt at all. And yeah, I was, I was super stoked. So, yeah. 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 I can imagine. I mean, I remember, I remember growing up, my cousins, I had a couple of cousins that were older than me. I had three older sisters that all got into hunting. And I, I remember that night before opener i'm like man what can Mm -hmm. i help with what can i help with my dad's having me get ammo my mom's having me grab hand warmers uh you know passing out orange gloves trying to figure out who's or who's and i always wanted to be part of (laughs) the hunt and it was like man yeah you know i was too young but i felt like i could go you know i had so much practice shooting birds with bb guns at that point like i could kill anything and and Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden that like I'd turn eight and I'm like, man, four more years. How am I going to make it <laughs> yeah, three exactly. more years? Luckily they did. I mean, they started letting me come and sit with them um, beforehand or like before I was old enough to hunt. And that definitely scratched mm-hmm. the itch a little bit, but that feeling of being out there for your first time with a gun in hand, there's nothing like it. 
Yeah, no, for sure. There, there is, there is really no feeling. I wish, I wish I could replicate that feeling every time, you know, that, that first time out with a gun is, is definitely something special, but you, you made me think of something when you said there about shooting birds with a BB gun. Um, I got my first BB gun when I was eight. And that was kind of another surprise. And my dad had originally told me I, um, he wanted me to be a little older than that. And so he surprised me on my eighth birthday with the BB gun. And then after that, I just kind of went on a tear as far as sh- I pretty much shot anything that was I, I was able to kill with a BB gun. It was a little Daisy, um, a Daisy buck, it was called um, the lever action BB gun. And I chipmunks kind of became my main target. And so that was kind of my that kept my summers preoccupied pretty, pretty oh, yeah. much completely. So that, that was kind of what I grew up doing. Um, and then, but once I got into deer hunting, I kind of, kind of forgot about all that. So. See, it's good practice. I feel like everybody who wants to hunt should just be given a BB gun, you know, taught how to use it properly. And then you just go and it's free reign. You know, kids are going to be kids. They're going to mm-hmm. shoot things that move anyway. Uh, better, better yeah. an animal than a person. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I was a better hunter having stalked songbirds on my mom's bird feeder and, you know, sat there waiting for ground squirrels to pop up out of a hole. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like it kind of teaches you the patience. It teaches you the aim. It teaches you to get back on a target quickly. <laughs> There's a lot of benefits. Mm-hmm. To it. Yeah. I can't imagine yeah, uh, definitely. Wisconsin uh, DNR is just going to let us have free reign on songbirds though yeah no i don't think so but yeah it's funny you say that too because my dad didn't grow up with a bb gun and he can't shoot for anything with iron sights like at all and it's kind of funny because i remember one time when i was pretty young um there was a red squirrel up in a tree and dad wanted to try hitting with my bb gun and he literally shot at this thing probably 30 or 40 times with this BB gun and did not hit it a single time. And I'm pretty sure if I remember right, I hit it on the first shot. I was like eight or nine years old. That's awesome. But, and he still can't, he just, he just can't shoot with iron sights. And I mean, he could have be practiced, but um, you know, he didn't grow up with a BB gun like I did. So yeah, I, I definitely think it, it helped me in more ways than one, but for sure shooting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. See, I've never had any formal like shooting training. I wasn't in the military. I haven't taken any long range classes, although I would love to, that sounds awesome. But, Mm -hmm. uh, what's funny is, you know, growing up with a BB gun and before that it was a Nerf gun and airsoft guns before I think they were even called airsoft guns. Um, I had Mm -hmm. a little pump shotgun that shot these plastic beads out of it. And that was, I feel like it was quite a while before the airsoft craze, but, uh, yeah, having having grown up around firearms or firearm like toys that I just got comfortable with it and I feel like it's paid off in spades now because I remember mm-hmm. going up to a, a ranch in Wyoming and I was doing some pretty long range shooting with some some people that I knew and they had a two mile range out there. And they had targets, you know, every 50 yards, then every 100 yards out to 1,000, and then every, like, 200 to 250 yards out to a mile. And so I remember getting out there, and we were shooting. People were shooting all day long, and I was just kind of plinking around at closer targets to 300 yards. And finally, I was like, hey, man, do you mind if I shoot long range? And they're like, yeah, go for it. Hmm. So I start 
shooting at 500, then 750, then a thousand, then 1250. And finally I was like, what's next? And they were like, Hey, the miles next, uh, after the 1500 yard range. And I was like, man, a mile, that'd be awesome. They're like, yeah, nobody's hit it yet. Well, it turns out I ended up getting on target at a mile, hit it like four times in a row, which was one of the coolest feelings Wow. Of my entire life. I was like, this is insane. Yeah. And I'm using their equipment. You know, I didn't have, I didn't have a gun or a scope or the ammo that could poke out that far at that point, but they had super nice rifles, great ammo. And, uh, anyways, I hit it four times and the owner of the range was like, Hey, did you, did you hit a mile? And I go, yeah, that was shot number four on the mile in a row. And he's like, dude, you're the first one to hit a mile. Like, this is this is a new range. We haven't shot a lot, but you're the first one to hit a mile. The other guys have been trying all day. And I was like, oh, cool. I was <laughs> like, well, dude, hop on the table. Like, it's it's your range. You shoot the mile. Yeah. So he shoots like three or four times, isn't isn't connecting at all. Then the guy who like gets all their guns set up and you know makes sure the range is cleared and basically takes care of everything on the shooting range he's like oh you mind if i give it a go so he hops behind the rifle and he (laughs) shoots twice and nothing and i'm like oh man that's interesting like it was it was on a second ago (laughs) and then the owner goes all right sniper let's see you do it now and so i get back on the rifle and i just settle into it pull the trigger and i hear the spotter go impact and he, the owner of wow. the ranch, he was like, get out of here. And he like pushes me off the stool. He's like, oh, get back up, back to the back of the line. And I was just laughing because all these other guys were trying. And he ended up getting on. And then one at a time, we kind of walked people in to a mile. You know, at that distance, if you if the trigger's on the wrong part of your pad on your finger, like you're going to be pulling it one way or another, mm-hmm. uh, pulling or pushing. Um, there's so many things that can go wrong at that distance. But we ended up getting, I think everybody who wanted to was able to shoot the mile by the end of the day. And uh, it's funny oh, wow. because I was like, man, that it felt really good to be the guy who first got on and then to do it multiple times in a row. Um, that Yeah. And I, I'm not talking, this, is, this isn't like a 12 inch target, right? We're talking probably like a two mm-hmm. foot by yeah. three foot chunk of steel. So it's, it's a pretty decent yeah. size. Um, but still, yeah, but a mile mile away though. Oh yeah. The farthest I'd ever shot at a deer (laughs) up until leaving for high or after high school, I think it was probably like 70 yards. And so shooting a mile wasn't even in my vocabulary at that point. Yeah, that's, that's incredible actually. And I like, that's exactly what I was thinking too. Like with the woods, like up here in Northern Wisconsin, like I mean, you're doing really good if you're seeing a deer a hundred yards away. Like that's pretty unusual. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, almost everything I've ever shot is here anyway, is inside of a hundred yards, probably inside of 50. Um, and I, I've never even attempted to shoot that far. So that, that's, that's really impressive. That's crazy. It's fun. I've kind of fallen in love with shooting long range. I mean, both rifle and, and bows. And that was another thing, the mm-hmm. Western people, you know, like anybody out West, <clears throat> they're dialing their bow in for like 60, 70, 80, up to 120 yards. And I'm like, what in the world? I didn't, yeah, even, yeah. I didn't even know bow sights could be <laughs> dialed that far. 
you know, I think yeah. my farthest pin when I was in high school, my farthest pin on my boat was like 45 yards, maybe 50 yards. And that mm-hmm. was like, I'll never shoot at something that far away. And these guys are taking cracks at yeah, yeah. deer and elk and antelope at 75 plus pretty consistently. And so I don't know if it's just a mindset, if it's what general generationally, maybe we've put like limits on each generation like oh yeah we don't shoot anything past this or just because where we hunt in wisconsin you're probably not going to have a shot opportunity that far yeah definitely and that's that's something that i've realized too like i i've never been out west to hunt yet um i'm hoping to really badly here in the next couple years but that's something i've noticed too that i'm gonna have to start getting a little more deadly at long distance because i'm the same way i i very rarely have shot over 50 yards of the boat, even in practice, you know, and I, I do enjoy shooting long range. I just haven't done it that much. Cause like you said, you don't really need to, you don't really need to here. Um, but I have hunted in Missouri quite a bit now. And, you know, even there you can, there's a lot, at least the area we hunt is a lot more, uh, potential to shoot longer distances. So, um, I, but I like you're saying too, though, I, I am a little bit hesitant to shoot long ranges. Like my dad's kind of one of those, like it has to be inside of 30 or he's not taking a shot. So I have yeah. a little bit of that in me too, where it's kind of hard to be like, you know, I, I could shoot him if he was at 50, but, um, yeah, so no, I, I totally get that for sure. Yeah. What, uh, what was hunting like growing up? So you had mentioned starting to go out around nine, all of a sudden, boom, you're able to hunt at 10. Did you start out just mm-hmm. with, did you start out doing the gun deer season up there and then get into bow hunting or how is that progression for you? Yeah. So it was for the first, I think till I was 14, it was the first time I bow hunted. So for the first few years, it was all just rifle season and up here, deer drive is a big thing. So we would sit Saturday, Sunday, um, of opening weekend. And then we would do deer drives Monday through Saturday. So that was oh, okay. like every year, that's what we would do. So I got, you know, that, and I, I actually, I love doing deer drives. It's, it's so much fun. And I know a lot of people aren't super into them, but um it's i grew up doing it so to me it's you know it's it's just fun but um yeah i didn't i didn't bow hunt until i was 14 um and that was that's when you can legally hunt by yourself like completely without a without being in earshot or or eyesight um and so i did shoot my first deer that year with a bow nice um it was it was just a doe and then kind of like i mentioned earlier once i got once i got into baseball i i did i did bow hunt but not near as much as I, I had before uh, hunting in general, just kind of took a little bit of a back burner, still rifle hunted, um, still had some pretty fun years in there, but my, my main focus definitely became baseball. And then after that, um, you know, I got back into it, but through those years, we, uh, we actually started going over to Western Minnesota to rifle hunt a piece of private there that, um, a good, a really good family friend of ours, it's his wife, brother, um, gave us permission there and so we we had some really good success i think i killed six bucks in six years there so it was was yeah it was yeah yeah and a couple of them were smaller um but when i was younger i obviously didn't care as much um about waiting for bigger deer but i did i did end up killing a couple pretty nice ones over there too but it was a square mile piece of private that we had access to hunt so it was pretty sweet and most of it was ag but and every year because it was his farmland every year he kept clearing more brush and putting more fields in so now the whole square mile is just fields 
but it was it was like a deer paradise when we first got there because half of it was still um you know uh brush and woods it was it wasn't much standing timber but it was it was such a nice piece for the first few years we went there dang uh, I want to unpack a couple things that you talked about because you said you hunt Missouri now. What part of Missouri mm-hmm. are you coming down yeah. to? So I was actually going to ask you about this too. It's Southwest Missouri because my my wife is from Southwest Missouri actually. Oh, nice. Um, she's from Carthage. Yeah, I don't know if you know where Carthage is or not. Yeah. Um, it's real close to Joplin, and yeah, my wife is grew up and is from there. Yeah, so, that's not yeah, far we from actually us live at all. there. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah, we're on the I, west I heard, side I've of seen on your Instagram. Yeah, we're on the west side of Springfield, so closer to Joplin than Springfield. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, Southwest Missouri is a cool place. You know, like we're kind of on that corner. You can you can get to Kansas pretty quickly, Oklahoma pretty quickly, Arkansas pretty quickly. And so if if you're mm-hmm. the type of person that wants to hunt multiple states, there's opportunity for that. But honestly, the deer hunting here is pretty good. And it's funny because I think it's underrated, not only by non-residents, but also by the people who live close. I had a guy that I worked Mm -hmm. with and it was, it was when I was first trying to get into hunting here. Um, excuse me, moving, moving down here. Uh, there was a short amount of time where I didn't really do a whole lot of hunting here. Um, but then Mm -hmm. I, I started getting back into it and this guy at work was like, good luck man he's like there's years that i go out all season and i don't even see a deer and i'm like whoa what Mm -hmm. like the deer hunting sucks that bad here no way and then after a little while i just realized that he was doing it wrong um and Mm -hmm. there's actually a lot of deer here some pretty good ones but it's funny hearing people talk about it they're like man i'll go all season without seeing anything good luck man i haven't shot a deer in five years and i'm like dude I don't know if you're just drinking in the stand all day, what you're doing. Uh, maybe road hunting isn't <laughs> yeah. really paying off for you, but I don't know. I don't know how yeah. you go that long, um, especially in a place like this, because there's deer numbers here. You know, it's not like an, a Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa situation, but uh, it is pretty good still. Yeah, it's really good, actually. And and I know the deer numbers are better in the southern half of Wisconsin, but up here, and it's partially because it's all big woods, so it's hard to see them. But, like, the deer densities up here are not very high. So I've been hunting Missouri, I think, for four years now. We, Me and my wife started dating in 2019. We got married in 2021. Yeah, 2021. Um, and so I, I've been hunting there since then. And I, I actually really, really like it because you can actually see down there. And yeah. so northern Wisconsin boy going down there, and I'm seeing 15 deer in an evening. I'm like, this is great. Um, and I actually killed my biggest buck ever there last, or not last year now, I guess 2021. I shot a, a pretty nice deer on a small piece of public, but he grossed 156 and 5'8". So Dang. that that was pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's a heck of a little public, piece public deer and, anywhere. Yeah, I was, I was super stoked. And I shot it with a muzzleloader because, as you know, a lot of the public pieces down there, you can't rifle hunt on them. Yeah. So, it was the uh, second day of, of rifle season there. And yeah, my little brother was with me. He's, he was nine years old at the time. He was actually trying to film for me, but he kind of freaked out when the deer came in and uh, he zoomed in too far. So there, there's no footage of the shot, but it's, it, I couldn't get upset at him because he's only nine years old. So it, it was totally fine, but it would have been sweet to have on film because it, 
it, it turned out, I mean, it happened pretty cool. So man, yeah, but that, that was is pretty sweet. sweet to get him. That's sweet, man. I yeah. hearing people have success on public land like <clears throat> that. I like huge props to you for that because I know how it is hunting public land. I mean, it's, it's challenging. You're dealing with a lot of other people who you don't under, you don't know what their hunting tactics are, if they have any tactics at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard of people, you know, just walking around the edges of a lake before hoping to kick a deer up and shoot it on the run. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's some pretty wild strategies and techniques that I've heard people around here using in order to, uh, kill a deer. But, um, what I, I want to talk a little bit about, you had mentioned doing deer drives and how that's a big thing. You'd hunt mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday, and then, uh, Monday through Saturday, you'd, you do deer drives, break that yep. down for people. Because I think there's a lot of places where people aren't really familiar with what a deer drive is, or it's something that maybe their grandparents did, but like, it seems like generations are kind of getting away from that, but that's something I grew up loving. I thought deer drives were the mm-hmm. greatest thing ever. Yeah. So why don't you break that down for yeah. people? Maybe what your guys' strategy for a deer drive is and how that's worked so far. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically we usually had about probably between 10 and 15 guys. I know, I know some way more than that, but, um, to your point about like the generations changing, like we're having in the last few years, we've had a lot more trouble getting guys because the guys my age, I'm, I'm 22 years old, but a lot of my, the guys my age don't want to either hunt at all or do deer drives. So it, as, as time goes on, it's getting harder and harder. Yeah. But we, what we would do is we have, have a group of guys. And um, one of my favorite parts as a kid was we'd always go out for breakfast beforehand, um, you know, cause obviously you wait till it gets light. Yep. And, um, so wherever, whatever area we were going to be driving in, and it was almost hundred percent public land too. Um, almost completely not, not quite there. Every once in a while we had a private, private piece to push out, but, um, and it really helped too. Cause our main leader, um, Weldon Hershey, I mentioned before, a really good family friend of ours. Um, he's almost like a second dad to me, but he's a logger. So having logged all these different pieces through the years, he, he knows the land really well around here. And so he would instruct us you know, on, on how the piece is laid out. And, 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 you know, when we started hunting or when I was 10 years old, when I first got into it, we didn't have onyx and stuff like that, like we do now. So it was yeah. more, it was a lot of, uh, taking a bullet and drawing in the dirt kind of where he wanted us to go. But basically we just have a group of standers that would line up in the direction that, uh, we were going to be pushing the piece out and then a group of standers and we, or sorry, drivers and we'd close out and, and push a piece, you know, walk toward the standers and, um, you know, oftentimes we, we always have walkie talkies to communicate with each other and, and whoops and stuff or yells, however, whatever you want to do to kind of keep yourself lined up with the other drivers. But a lot of what we did was clear cuts. Um, that's a lot of times our deer hole up during rifle season. Yeah. Um, just because of the, I mean, the pressure up here is just out of this world during rifle season. <laughs> um, so it's, it's crazy, but I guess we're partially to blame. I guess people would say the same thing about us too, but, um, so we, a lot of times we end up pushing clear cuts, which are just an absolute pain to walk through, but that's where the deer are. So we do it. And we've had a lot of success through the years doing that. My dad, and this was when I was very little, my dad killed his biggest buck ever on a deer drive. Um, he almost went Boone and Crockett, just shy of Boone and Crockett. Jeez. Um, so really, really big buck. Um, but yeah, it's, 
I, I don't know. It's, it's just something that I, I'm very passionate about. I wish the guys my age would be more, you know, into it still so we could actually get group. But there are a couple of younger guys too, like my little brother's into it and a couple, a couple other younger guys coming up are, are getting into it too. So it looks like we have a little bit of hope for the next few years at least. But And we have a few faithfuls too um, that always show up every year, including my dad. So that's nice. But yeah. Um, so with with that many guys. I'm missing with that. With, with that many guys, how big of a piece are you pushing at one time? Um, boy, I don't know an acreage amount, but not, not too crazy big. And, and they kind of all vary too. Cause like, let's say we were pushing a clear cut out totally depends on the size of the clear cut. Um, yeah. man, I'm trying to get a, I'm just trying to take a guess here. I would say probably actually about 40 acres at a time. That okay. that would be yeah. my best guess, I would say. So pretty decent size, but not, not you know, not too little. No, but, and then there were drives, too, that were a lot bigger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see. I know I see back in, in the here. day. Go ahead. All right, I know back in the day, like in the 90s, my dad said people weren't near as picky about the private land thing. Like dad said you could pretty much hunt anybody's land you wanted to as long as it wasn't specifically posted. And I think they had a drive that was like seven miles long that they used to do. Like they would just, they would push a chunk of it out and then the standers would become drivers and the drivers would loop around and become standers and they would just keep doing it. They'd hop road, you know, and obviously not shooting on the roads, but they would cross roads as they're going. And in total, the drive was like seven miles long. (laughs) We don't do anything like that anymore, but you couldn't. Yeah, that is, that's quite a chunk. Um, No, I kind of figured it'd be about 40 40 acres at a time, just trying to think logistically how much land you could push mm-hmm. in one given time. Cause I mean, growing up, we knew that the neighbors did deer drives. My, mm-hmm. once there were enough of us kids or like teenagers, my parents started, you know, entertaining the idea of doing deer drives. It, we did more of like the deer creeping. I don't know if there's actually a term for okay. it, but we would basically just walk I'd get bored. My cousin would get bored, whoever would. And it was like, all right, we're just going to slow walk to my dad's stand or your dad's stand. And then just try to stir the woods up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And so we yep. did a lot of that. But then as, as there were more of us as teenagers in the woods, it was like, oh, you know what? There's actually quite a bit of standing corn down in the valley. We could go drive that. And so yeah. my dad and my uncle would be the sitters and then the kids we would all just walk through the cornrows and try to push stuff out mm-hmm. and to me i'm like man especially on wet years there's years where 40 to 70 percent of the corn is still standing during deer season during gun deer season mm-hmm. and that really hurts the yep. big woods because it's it's perfect cover they've got the food they've got the cover all they really need is water which they can find that typically fairly close and Mm -hmm, that really that really hurts hunting thick timber uh on those years and so i feel like deer drives are an awesome tool and like i said it seems like people are shying away from it but then i do talk to people and it's like no man we'll always do deer drives uh i know pennsylvania that state seems to be really really big into using that strategy yeah yeah for sure um I just saw, I don't know if you watch, I don't know if you know, Bo Martonic does East meets West, meets meets West Hunts podcast. And he just had the Seek One guys on with him. And 
he was showing them how to do drives and stuff. I thought that was super cool, but I actually didn't know drives were a big deal in Pennsylvania. Um, and so that, that's really cool to me. Now I want to go out there and do drives there, you know? So I know, and it's kind of funny too, because a lot of people, like you said, don't either don't know about them or aren't sure what's going on. Cause like my wife growing up in Missouri and her family hunted, but not, not real seriously, just more of kind of go out and get some meat thing. And she had no idea what deer drives were when, when we first met. And so I had to kind of like introduce her to them and, and, and for people that are first starting it, and I understand this, I, I, like I said, I didn't think about it because I grew up with it, but like the safety issue, I mean, it makes sense. There's a legit concern there. Oh, um, sure. But as long as you're, you know, everybody's using, everybody's using common sense and, you know, you kind of keep track of where we're at, you know, it, it, it can be safe. We've never even had really any remotely close calls up to this point. Um, but we always hunt and we have a really good group of people that we've always hunted with. So that makes a big difference because I have heard stories about other groups doing drives. And I'm like, I, I don't think I would do drives with, with them, you know, just because it's like, you know, not shooting I and mean, shooting at stuff when you don't know what's, you know, and you don't even see it. You just hear something like that. That's a little sketchy. So you do have to use a lot of common sense because there is a, definitely a heightened um, level of risk there with what you're doing. But as long as you, you know, are smart, it's, it's pretty safe overall, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to hear different, uh, like we mentioned different states or different places doing them. I know Pennsylvania, I got an invite to go and do a drive for bears. Uh, apparently they actually use that same oh. technique to, to push bears. Hmm. And so I'm like, man, that'd be, that'd be pretty wild being a stander. And all of a sudden you yeah, got a black bear just sprinting towards you. Um, <laughs> and then I listened to an episode of the meat eater pretty recently. I want to say it was like three or four days ago. And Giannis went back to um, Latvia, or sorry, yeah, Latvia, and he did a hunt there. Mm-hmm. And they're really, really big into drives, and so they go out and they're going really? for huh. yeah, they're going for deer and moose and stag. And he's like, man, anything that comes through, you know, you shoot, you could shoot a <laughs> moose or a stag. Or, uh, I think it's roe deer um, that they were going after. Oh, yep. Um, and hogs. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, there's no telling what's going to come running through the woods towards you. But he's like, they take it very, very serious. Not only the hunt, but the safety side of it. And so, like, they'll put you in a mm-hmm. spot if you're a stander. You get to put, you get to be in one spot, and from that spot, you can only take two steps. They like, you cannot oh, take wow. more than two steps from your spot. Because now if you do that, people aren't going to know where you are that are driving. The other standards aren't going to know where you are. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to stay put. And so to, to have huh. something, some type of good safety system implemented, that way nobody's getting shot. It's not, it's not um, dangerous for anybody to be out there. Uh, I mm-hmm. just... It's, it's wild to me, man. I love finding out about the different techniques and strategies that people use for hunting, um, especially the ones that go back generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy though. I mean, that, that would be quite the deal to be able to just shoot whatever comes by. I mean, I, I can't imagine what doing a moose drive would be like. That'd be, that'd be pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Moose, um, man, I, anytime, anytime you get a big animal like that, cause deer, you know, typically a grown man's going to weigh more than a deer, uh, than most deer, yeah. I should say. Um, but then once you start thinking about several hundred pound bears or, you know, uh, 800 to 1200 pound moose, 
now that's a that's a different level and those animals aren't aren't hard or aren't easy to kill um so no, to no, to no, shoot no. a moose on the run and you're standing there like i don't know if i'd want to be in front of that thing yeah that would definitely bring another aspect to it of uh that, that's an, there's another safety concern when you got moose running around i guess <laughs> that yeah you don't really think about with deer <laughs> um but yeah that that would be pretty intimidating but i actually that just brought something to mind i talking about moose um this was going back to minnesota and dad was actually doing a little drive to me i think it was the first year we were over there so i would have been like 14 years old and he's pushing out this little chunk of woods in the middle of a field and i saw a flash of like brown coming through the trees and i just assumed it was a deer and yeah. all of a sudden around the corner of the field a cow moose and a calf came cruising around the corner oh, and i geez. wish so bad somebody had been there i wish somebody had been there to like film me because i don't know what my face did but i didn't know there was moose over there and so I'm thinking I flash and right, like my first thought after I thought wasn't here was bear, but I'm like, that's not a bear. Um, I was like, Oh crap, it's a moose. And I, I, yeah, I was so stunned. Uh, just talking about moose made me think of that. It was, it was crazy. So yeah, there are moose in Western Minnesota for anybody who doesn't know. That would be nuts. Yeah. In it. So I grew up in Wisconsin and, or in Eau Claire. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm farther oh, yep, South yep. than you are, but like not far from us in Elk Mound, somebody got a picture of a moose and it made the papers and it's like, there's a moose spotted mm -hmm. in elk mound. And I'm like, no kidding. Uh, you know, I had friends that lived there. That's not far from me at all. Um, but it seems like with all the animal reintroductions and then obviously with cities expanding, there's going to be more human wildlife interactions and encounters that are outside of the normal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know, man, there's, there are certain animals like that that, and I think size plays into it. The larger the animal, for some reason, the more majestic, the more of a like an awe factor they have. And so, like, yeah, when mm -hmm. you're talking moose and bear and elk, there's it's a different level. But I watch I watch videos on YouTube all the time of the different hunts. And yeah, over in Europe, when you watch them like chasing stag through the woods or like doing drives and there's hundreds of them running through the woods mm -hmm. or deer or uh, moose hunting with, with hounds. I've seen videos of that. That seems pretty wild also. Oh, wow. Yeah. In fact, I think yeah, on that, that media, media yeah, that's episode, crazy. they use hounds. Okay. Huh? Yeah. That, that's crazy. I, uh, I definitely want to shoot a moose at some point. I actually pretty recently listened to that podcast you did. And I can't remember his name now, but the, uh, the guy from Maine that you were talking to about moose hunting there. Oh yeah. And, Ian. um, that got me, yeah, I got, yeah. Ian, that's what it was. Yep. And I'm actually, I'm definitely going to be applying for a moose preference point there now because of that. I didn't even, I didn't know non-residents could hunt moose there. So that's, that's definitely going to be something. I think registration opens today, actually. Yeah. Um, February it does. 1st, I think is when it opens. So that's yeah. Exactly so I'm going right. to be putting in stock hope. Hopefully, getting in a getting a moose the next. Well, I guess it could take a lot of years, but that's okay. But moose is a a huge bucket list of mine. My, kind of ever since I was really little. I mean, I along with you know growing up in hunting family, I watched hunting videos religiously. Like that was that was such a big thing. And and Realtree used to have a series called Monster Bulls. I don't know if you ever watched that. Um, oh yeah. But it was caribou, moose, and elk. So ever since I was three, four, five years old, and however young I was when I started watching him, 
that is in my three main bucket list animals to kill with a bow is specifically, I mean, if it doesn't work out with the bow, that's fine. But that's something I've definitely started kind of planning and putting in the works. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those three, those three animals right there are something I definitely want to get done in the near future. Yeah. The, the, the days of VHS hunting videos are, <laughs> I, I wish every kid grew up that way where it was like, Oh man, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a new video out by, you know, Mm-hmm. the Primo's brothers or the Waddell's or the Drury's or whoever it is. That was like the greatest thing. Cause my parents never bought those VHS tapes. They never did. And it drove mm-hmm. me crazy because they were really into hunting <laughs> on the other hand. Yeah. Yeah. My, my uncle, my mom's sister's husband, he would always buy them. And so he had like the Primo's speak the language or uh, the truth about, deer hunting or the truth series videos every time i would go over there he'd have a new one and a new one and i just remember i was always the one that had to get up and go and change the tape out so i'd have to put a new vhs in take the old vhs out put it in the like speed rewind deal and mm-hmm. yep, uh, yep we would just watch one after the next after the next and it was just wild to watch these guys these like hunting celebrities that would yep. pass these bucks that were like 140, 150. And we're like, what's wrong with you? I will never pass <laughs> anything like that. Look at these idiots. Who do they think yeah. they are? And then all of a sudden this like 180, 190 inch buck walks out and we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, it all makes sense now. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the helicopter hog hunt that I did down in Texas. Now I went down there with Rogue Texan Outfitters and Landon and Brandon, the owners, put us on the animals. We killed 150 pigs and 19 coyotes just from the air. On top of that, we went out thermal hunting at night and got up close and personal to more hogs. I didn't have to worry about bringing guns or ammunition because all of that was provided for me and it is to this day the most action-packed day of hunting I've ever had. I stand by what I've said in the past and that's that helicopter hog hunting is the funnest thing that you can do with pants on. In addition, they offer sandhill crane hunts and predator calling. So if you're looking for the most exciting hunt of your life and something that you're going to want to come back and do year after year, go check out roguetexan.com and book your hunt today. Yep, yep. And then and as a little kid, you're like, yes, this is what it's going to be like when I grow up. And then you remember that you <laughs> you grow up and realize that you live in northern Wisconsin and it doesn't happen like that at all. But that's okay. I I know a lot of people rip on those videos because of that. They're like, oh, it's unrealistic. But I honestly don't really care. I just love watching them. Like, I still do. Like, Monster Bucks, um, that was a big one. Like you said, like the juries. We didn't, we didn't have a whole ton of them because my dad was kind of the same way. And it actually was mostly DVDs by the time it got to – Oh, right. okay. I was born in 2000, so it was it was mostly. Oh so shoot! We did have yeah. A few VHSs. No, that yeah. makes sense. Um, yeah, but we had we had probably like five or six different ones, maybe a couple more. And so, Dad was he enjoyed watching, but for some reason, like that, he didn't really buy the new ones every time they came out. So we had like these, and I probably watched those ten. Oh man, I don't know how many times. It's just uh, a huge amount. But my my favorite one was Real Tree Road Trip season one. Because Michael Waddell was like my hero as a kid. Like that's I wanted to be just like him and that he was just 
uh, yeah, he's such a hero to me. I, I actually got to meet him a couple of years ago at Bowfest here in, in Superior, Wisconsin. Oh, nice. um, I didn't get a chance to talk to him for too long, but yeah, he's way taller than I thought he was going to be for some reason. He's, he's taller than I expected, but he, yeah, he's, he's such a cool dude. And I, yeah, I just, he was my hero growing up, but, and a lot of the others were too. I mean, there's, I'm not even going to start naming because there's too many, but yeah, I, I do. I wish every kid that, you know, enjoyed hunting had a chance to, to grow up watching those videos. Cause yeah, I don't know. They, they just made hunting look so much fun to me, you know, and, and that's kind of, and, and we can get into this a little more later, but like the starting a YouTube channel, that's kind of where I went ahead with that. And with being able to inspire younger generation. Cause like, I know how they made me feel when I was five, six years old and even older than that, you know, even, even still now in a way. Um, yeah, I just, it's just so cool to me. Yeah. And really, I mean, YouTube is, it, it's the new version of the hunting tapes or the hunting DVDs. And yeah, now anybody yep. with a phone can, can actually make a pretty decent video and camera equipment's way cheaper. You know, you don't have that giant shoulder mounted camcorder um, that you have to mm-hmm. lug around with you. You can, you can go pretty small with it and make really good content. And so I think that's a great transition into YouTube and, and exactly mm-hmm. kind of what you're planning on doing with that, how you're going about it. Um, because to see those people, you know, there's a, there's a whole generation that is kind of phasing out and I'm not saying that they're not relevant yeah, anymore, yeah. but Michael mm-hmm. Waddell yep. isn't necessarily a household name anymore when he used to be like the yeah, guy, definitely. like I remember watching him on a caribou hunt one time and this caribou, well, a lot of caribou are running right through the woods, like right in front of him. He's sitting on a log and one of them stops like three feet from him and he's like, Hey, what's up? And it just scares the crap out of it. And then he loses it. He starts laughing so hard, but you know, not a lot of the younger generation necessarily know those people, but they might know who the hushing guys are or the meat eater crew is or who the seek guys are. Um, and so I feel like there's this space now where not only can you make good content, but you can get it out to the masses really quickly. And it only takes a couple videos or a video to go viral. And now all of a sudden you're Mm -hmm. in the main hunting spotlight. Yeah, definitely. It's funny because I was actually just telling somebody at work today, um, like being a kid and watching these hunting personalities or celebrities, whatever you want to call them, it kind of like you always, like I always wanted to like, that's what I wanted to be. But also in the back of my mind, I kind of knew like the chances of me ever having a TV show were very, very low. But now as YouTube has become a thing, it kind of like you're saying, it, it does give everyone a chance to have their own TV show, you know, in quote unquote. And it, it is it is a really unique and cool opportunity that that we have now um, that, you know, you wouldn't I wouldn't have had if I was 22 and, you know, 2003 or something like that. You know, that you from what I've heard, you pretty much had to either go work for somebody or, you know, because equipment was a lot more expensive back then. Yeah. And, you know, it just. Yeah, it was, just, it was just a different era. So now we do have a, a pretty cool opportunity to be able to produce content the way we can, for sure. Yeah, yeah it's wild. I mean, I talk to people all the time because obviously with social media becoming something that everyone has in their pocket at all times, um, podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, they're getting huge. I talk to people all the time who are wanting to start and they're wanting to get into this space. And there's no, there's never been opportunities for it like there are now and 
you know, as, as time goes on, the market's going to get kind of flooded, but it doesn't mm-hmm. even matter. It doesn't matter if you end up with a TV deal or a major sponsorship or not. Like there's, there's people who just post their everyday stuff or they just post about food plots or they only talk about turkey hunting. And, you know, you can, you can get that following, whether it's a couple hundred people or several thousand people in a short amount of time, if you stay consistent and it's only yeah, like, yep. The consistency thing is something that I talk to people all the time about. And honestly, for anybody listening to this podcast who might be thinking about getting into the outdoor media space, consistency is going to advance you farther than literally anything else is. It, sure, if you kill like a state record buck, you're going to get into the national spotlight immediately. But yeah, for yeah. you know, all but one person every five years, you have to find a different way to get out there and it might just be starting with talking about how you hunt on your family's 20 acres or chasing after public mm-hmm. land deer or strategy and techniques or gear reviews or whatever it is like find that thing and run with it and then stay consistent and it's going to happen yeah definitely and and i i think that's one thing that i i put a lot of pressure myself to be able to you know have good quality hunts on film to be able, you know, to produce and to have that consistency. But like this past year, I only killed one buck with, or only one deer. Um, and so it's like, man, like how can I be consistent if I'm only putting out one video a year, you know, and that, that's kind of the, I kind of put this pressure on myself that I kind of just got to relax a little bit and, and maybe I have to, you know, do some scouting videos or something like that to try and be more consistent. But I, I mean, you look at the guys who are successful, like on YouTube, and yeah, I mean, like, look the hunting public, yeah, see how many videos they post throughout a year. And obviously they're not all kill videos, but like, there's that consistency there, like you're talking about. Yeah, there definitely is. And the, the kill videos are great. Don't get me wrong. But even with mm-hmm. podcasting, you know, I'm not, I'm not on here every time talking about a new kill. A lot of times it's just talking yeah, strategy, yeah. talking new opportunities and people like to follow a story you know? And so even if you don't kill every year, some of my favorite podcasts are from Dan Johnson or from Mark Kenyon, and it's hearing them Mm -hmm. year after year. It might be in September or October or November that they start rehashing a certain deer that they've been after for three or four years. And it's like, obviously they they haven't had success with it because they're still chasing after it. But I love following that story. And so that might be, you know, doing deer drives, what, what encounters you had, mm-hmm. close calls, misses, and even, even meat eater again, has done a great job of that stuff where they'll go like, I think I watched one meat eater. Maybe it was a couple seasons ago where they went and did the flintlock hunt in Pennsylvania and they were doing deer drives, okay. just like we were talking about. And multiple times they had opportunities at whitetails and something malfunctioned on their flintlock and so they never got one like they never shot one and the whole episode was about them hunting about the relationships they were making about the opportunities that they had and about the equipment malfunctioning and they still made an episode about it and so that's what that's what i love now because you are getting into the you're kind of getting into the realm now of youtube where 
I mean, there's, there's something on YouTube for everybody. And there's plenty of people who really yeah. are going to appreciate just being r- raw and open and honest with the struggles that you have with hunting, even if it's not great. And then when you do have success, they're going to be like, dude, awesome. Great job. I saw you posted this or that, but to let people yeah, know yeah. it's not all roses, you know, you're not shooting, you're not shooting a booner or a Pope and young deer or elk or bear or anything. Every time you go out, at least I haven't heard anybody making a podcast or a YouTube video where they have that kind of yeah. success. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I actually talking about going stretches out deer. I actually went 82 sits in between killing a buck with my bow until I killed my one this past year. So I usually Dang. can track pretty well. And I think that numbers, that numbers on, I think between, but maybe it within one or two anyway. And yeah, I think it was about 82 sits in between killing a buck with my bow. So yeah, there's, there's definitely some, uh, stories I could be telling in, in between <laughs> that was like, that was a span of like three or four years. So, and that's maybe what I need to get into more is just kind of getting a little more in depth with kind of what we do and how we do it and the storytelling. And, and one thing I thought about too, when you're talking there with the deer drives that I forgot to mention earlier is the camaraderie of deer driving was by far my favorite part of it as a kid and still is. Yeah. That, that was, that was what I looked forward to more than anything. And I mean, I kind of talked about it with going out for breakfast every morning and stuff, but like, it was just so much fun to me to be around other people. And, you know, we're all there for the same reason. It's always, you know, always lighthearted, good time. And just, you know, trouncing through the woods and like, okay, what more can you ask for? You know, <laughs> dude, there's nothing better than it. You get all these people together no, and then not. everyone has their own variation of the same story, you know, like, Oh, I saw this buck and then it ran past him and then he shot and missed it. And it came back and I shot, you know, hearing all the stories and just hearing the interaction year after year, all the buddies giving the one guy a hard time who missed a deer or whatever. There's nothing in my mind that beats the camaraderie. As much as I like success, I would trade mm-hmm. I would trade a lot of successful solo hunts where I like go out by myself, don't talk to anybody, nobody's there to experience it with me for one good hunt with a bunch of my buddies, even if we don't shoot as big of an animal or as many animals. Honestly, one of my most memorable hunts of the year was me and some buddies and we went out and sat all morning and we killed one goose. But my buddy's Mm -hmm. truck kept breaking down on the way home. His dog did not do what it was supposed to do. We all gave each other a hard time. Like everything seemed to go wrong that day. But I had some really close buddies with and it made it all worth it. Yeah, definitely it having buddies around can pretty much take any situation that would otherwise probably be really frustrating and annoying and kind of just make it, make it fun, you know? Um, and that's, that's why this past year, uh, we went out, me and my really good friend and hunting buddy, Joe Yoder, uh, we went out to North Dakota for the first time and we spent nine days out there and we actually were both able to kill bucks, which was, we did not think that was going to happen, but it was pretty sweet. But just having him there, I mean, just being together and hunting there and just, I mean, wasn't much of a hunting camp it was just a tent yard but it was still it was so much fun um so yeah were you guys going after whitetail or muleys uh whitetail yep oh sweet yeah man yep. what? i actually I... go ahead oh i was just i uh i actually just finished the video, the youtube video for that hunt yesterday morning so 
anybody listening who wants to watch that. We have both. We actually got both kills on film. Actually, it actually worked out. So, yeah, I got that video done. Finally, it took me forever to finish, but I got it done. That is, yeah. if anybody's interested, they can can go check that out. Yeah, that's a that's a great spot to pitch that. Uh, where can they go and follow along and check out your videos? So the uh, channel name is Knucks for Bucks, like Knuckles for Bucks. So just to explain that name real quick, my dad has been saying this phrase for years already. And when I was starting a YouTube channel, I had no idea what to call it. I was like, well, I can call it Terry Kilmer Outdoors. I'm like, well, and nothing wrong with that. But I was like, I, I kind of wanted something a little more original. Um, and so I was like, hey, why don't I just use this phrase that dad's been saying, you know, we'd, we'd, right before we left the truck to go to our different spots, you just go Knucks or Bucks, you know, give each other a fist bump and so that's the name of the channel. So just type in Nuxer Bucks on YouTube and it should come, it should come up hopefully. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. I, Hey, I will say Terry Kilmer outdoors isn't bad because then you've got the abbreviations TKO and. Oh, I hadn't, be, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> that could be pretty good also, but just save that for when you get so big that you have to start a second YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah well i guess we'll burn that bridge when we get there but at least i know my name for now <laughs> at least i know my what my channel is gonna be <laughs> yeah there you go i'll give you a shout out for making me think of that <laughs> oh yeah definitely for sure it's it's uh definitely not as i i'm not to the place yet where i can produce the level of videos i quite want to yet i'm still learning the whole editing thing which by the way for anybody who hasn't edited yet it's awesome but it sucks to learn. <laughs> um, I, it, yeah, has I been, it, it has been a nightmare. It has been a nightmare for me trying to figure it out. And thank God for YouTube, because that's basically where I learned everything. But I'm, you know, slowly, slowly learning. And I feel like I'm definitely getting the hang of it more. But I, I want to be able to produce videos that people actually enjoy watching. So, you know, I don't, I, I definitely have a standard for myself that I would, you know, like to be able to meet at a certain point. And that comes with time, obviously. So I understand that my videos now aren't going to be as good as they are in five years, but I did try my best. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully people enjoy it. Yeah. I'm, I'm pumped to lay in bed and watch that tonight, man. I I always like yeah, yeah just watching. I like watching raw stuff, obviously like the more aesthetically appealing things are with high quality editing and high quality videography um, that's all fine and good, but there's some times where I'm just like, man, give me the most raw, like home, home video hunting story on YouTube. And I'll sit there and watch it and I'll dive down rabbit holes where I just find people where their logo is not great. Their page isn't great. And I'm like, dude, I just like watching good old boys get after it and kill things. And what's funny is <laughs> you see, at least up until recently, it seemed like the guys who were having the most success in killing big animals all over the place weren't very tech savvy. So their video quality was not good unless mm -hmm. they had some type of big time partnership. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I enjoy those videos as well too. And I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. I cut you off. No, you're good. Um, yeah. I was just gonna, I was just gonna see like what, what is in the future for you? obviously continuing to hone in your videography skills, editing. Um, have you entered any like film festivals at all, like hunting film festivals? 
I haven't. No, I have heard about them a little bit, but I don't actually really know what goes on with them. But um, so I haven't done that yet. But if it's something that I, you know, if you think I should do that kind of thing, I, I have thought about it. I just need to learn more about them for sure. I mean, I know that a lot of these, I, I haven't done anything for myself because I, I always buy really new and fancy uh, video equipment. I get out there mm-hmm. and 90% of the time I don't hit record. Like I just went to Georgia and oh, hunted yeah. pigs for three straight days. The whole trip I think was about six days. I barely got it. I think I averaged like one video a day and I could have had some really good content on that trip. Um, and so I struggle with it, but yeah. I do know that, you know, they do film festivals all over the place. I was just at ATA and they had a big film festival where everybody got together and watched the videos. Unfortunately, I was at a network dinner and so I didn't get to go see it, but like hearing the new things that are coming out, people who are kind of up and coming in YouTube or that when, when the film festival, you can get really good stuff. But as far as like the competitive side of it, for people who are competitive, it's mm-hmm. going to push you to be better at editing, at storytelling, at getting good shots and making high quality content, especially when you go and sit in a room and everybody's watching it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That would that is, I definitely need to check that out then and see because I think just meeting people that really know what they're doing would be a huge help in networking like that because, like I said, YouTube is pretty much the only way I I learned and. Just to clarify something I said earlier, I said it sucks learning edit. It does, but do it. Like everybody yeah. who wants to, you can figure it out. Trust me. I'm not a tech savvy person at all and I'm figuring it out. So yeah, you definitely, anybody who wants to definitely should do it. Um, it is a lot of fun and it, it actually gets a lot more fun as you learn to do it more too. Cause then you're not every single action you're trying to do, you know, as you're editing, you don't have to look it up. You, can, you just know what to do. So it definitely gets better. Um, I really wish I knew somebody like personally that was really good at, or even just knew how to do it that I could have went to. So if you have somebody, you know, definitely go to them. I'm sure they'd be, um, you know, willing to help is that, that would definitely help a lot. Um, but it is, it is a really cool thing to do. So just wanted to clarify that when I said it sucks, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. (laughs) No. And I mean, honestly, we're spoiled as a generation to have the, the tools and, um, the i guess the educational material at our fingertips the way that we do like youtube academy Mm -hmm. is unbelievable you can learn more on youtube in a couple hours than some some schools are going to teach you in a full semester because you can see all of these different editing styles and you can go through and find the people that you really like the way that they video the the way that they edit and then you know, they might also have a tutorial video out or you watch multiple videographers and editors and you just pick pick and choose which ones you want to kind of be more like. You can you can pick mm-hmm. different styles from multiple people and kind of craft your own out of that. Um, but yeah, sitting on YouTube, you the other nice thing is you can get very specific with it in a hurry. Like if you want to yeah, change yeah, the, sure. the exposure on on your camera, you know, you can look that up and, and figure out exactly how you want your stills to look or, um, you know, Mm -hmm. what, what image size you need to be shooting in for, for like a hunt versus, 
like an evening hunt versus a midday hunt versus a turkey hunt versus a waterfowl hunt. Uh, it's it's just really insane how much information is out there that we could all be taking advantage of and that you can learn from in a hurry. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That is it is very educational for sure. I I uh, it definitely made it easier being able to look that stuff up. I I don't know what I'd have done without it to be honest, but. Um, yeah, you can get very specific with it and that de- it definitely helps a lot because yeah, like I said, I can't tell you how many times I went and like how to, how to replace a video that you deleted already. How do you get it back? Or like, how do you undo an action or just, just anything, um, how to add music, how to upload to YouTube It's just it's any, anything you want to find out. It might take some things you have to do a little more digging to find, but for the most part, simple search and you've got it. Yeah. See, I think, I think if I were ever to really dive into it, honestly, I'm to the point now where I realize I'm probably not going to become a great editor or videographer, um, just because no matter what I buy, no matter how much I try to convince myself that I'm going to do it in the moment, like getting the shot opportunity always trumps getting the video of the shot. And it might change if I have a couple good successful shots on video, um, but at this point, I'm like, I just need to get somebody to come video and edit for me, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I don't. Uh, well, there's times where I wish I was uh, a videographer turned hunter versus the other way around. Yeah, well, you, yeah, that would definitely be a good place to start, I suppose. But I was gonna say, if I'm ever in Missouri when you're going out hunting, hit me up. I would love to come video for you. So I'm. I would, I would definitely be down for that. If you want somebody to sit behind the camera for you. Hey, speaking of, speaking of videoing and I will, I'll take you up on that. If you're, if you're coming down here and you want to get out and even if we just hunt together and maybe we bring a camera, maybe Mm -hmm. we don't, I'm all about that. But, uh, when you were talking earlier about having all these hunts and not having success on them, I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting there and going, man, I wish I I had a cameraman just because the shenanigans yeah. that happen between me and my hunting buddies or the pranks that we play yeah. oh, or like this last hunt, I had a guy named Nick and he fully passed out behind me while we were hog hunting. I mean like sawing <laughs> logs right behind me and I didn't even wake him up. No. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I took a video yeah. with my phone yeah. of it and I'm like, man, I wish I had a film crew out here for all of these awesome moments um that's what that's what i feel like people get into as far as content goes because if it's only about the kill shot well they can go and watch one of those youtube videos where it's like 126 kill shots in 98 seconds um you know yeah those are cool but yeah with 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 black and back by acdc playing in the background yeah yeah exactly (laughs) or yeah another one bites the dust and it's yeah it's just insane to me it's insane to me like how how that used to be all that it was about is that one mm-hmm. second where they pull the trigger but there's a lot of yep. hunting media out there that they're telling more of a story now and i really really do appreciate that from people in the industry that are taking the time sharing strategy sharing what it means to them sharing like the the b-roll and the outtakes and just the the goofy camaraderie that happens with most hunts once you get a bunch of dudes in a room or on a trip together something weird or funny or dangerous is going to happen 
And so to get all of that oh, and 100%. to kind of try to try to capture all of that in one video, I feel like that's where the real magic is. And that's where, yeah, you know, you can set yourself apart. Yeah, definitely. And I, I hundred percent enjoy watching the videos that are more geared that way than the others. Cause there's plenty of, you know, people out there that, you know, they just want their videos to be extremely serious. And this is a, this is serious. We're doing and hunting is serious. I, I agree with that, but going back to like what I grew up on, I don't, I don't know if you watched much realtor road trips, but that's all it was, was just a good oh, yeah. time like that. I think, I think I've heard people talk about that was kind of the first show that was like showing more than just the kill shot. It was them traveling, them at camp playing wiffle ball, you know what I mean? Like, and that's, that as, as a, as a kid, that's what I loved was that. And so, and I still do. And so that, that is definitely the direction that I would like to take the channel and also the people I watch. I, I, I love watching when guys are just being dudes around a campfire, wherever it is. And just that, cause that's how it is in real life. You know, we're not all just standing around, you know, we're deer hunting, man. So no laughing, no smiling, you know, <laughs> just do it to it. But so well, I, I I'm a hundred percent for the, yeah i feel like people i feel like people want to go and hunt and be around the they're, they want to hunt with and be around the people that are relatable and that like to have fun mm -hmm. and yeah the, i mean maybe they're stone cold killers maybe they find a way to get it done but they also like to screw around and joke and and this and that like i can't imagine somebody sits there and watches some old white dude who all he wants to do is like just be serious like hey shut up don't talk you got to use this type yeah. of scent control. Like, no, if I'm, if I'm in the woods yeah. and I don't miss opportunities at deer because I'm screwing around with my buddies, well, maybe I'm taking myself too seriously. And there's probably people yeah. who are listening. They're like, no way, dude, I don't do that. That's just kind of, it, it might not be as extreme as sitting in the woods, joking around and scaring deer off, but just having mm -hmm. a yeah. good time, having a good time with friends. Yeah. Trump's being successful in my opinion yeah i agree and 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 you can still have fun and and take it seriously too you know you don't you can you know like I mean, when me and my buddies hunt you know we it's always a it's always a party but you know when we're in the stand we still i mean we probably talk too much um you know it's kind of a nice break because i do hunt by myself a lot so whenever i have somebody to stand whether it's my wife or a buddy we always end up whispering like the whole time. And it's, it's really fun to do. I mean, a lot of people would say, you know, don't, don't do that in the deer stand. And like you said, maybe we scare some deer off, but Hey, if you're smart about it, you probably, you can usually get away with a little whispering anyway, but it's just fun. It's just fun to do. It's fun to have somebody in a tree with you and, and just messing around. Yeah. I mean, at elk camp, uh, the main elk camp that I go to, I bet you the inappropriate joke to elk kill ratio is through the roof you know probably a hundred to one <laughs> but we still we still go out there yeah. and get it done we still have fun you know you know when you're out there when it's time to be serious but also yeah 100 percent. Yep. we'll sit there you know there's times you get bored sitting on a mountaintop mm. glassing an area not seeing anything and then we play games and we make stupid bets like hey whoever's <laughs> farthest away on the range of that rock all the way across the valley has to do some dumb task that day, or, you know, Ooh, they have to get beers for everybody when you get back to camp and we will, we'll sit there. Yeah. There's times we've spent an hour and a half just glassing random objects and guessing how far away they are. And it's fun, nice. man. <laughs> that's like, that's stuff that yeah. I don't forget that. Like I, 
I still remember certain ranges that my buddy ranged a rock across the valley and uh, I was the closest one or I was so far off. It was embarrassing. Um, that's the type of stuff that, that I live for that I really look forward to. And, you know, I like pulling the trigger also. Yeah, definitely. No, that, that sounds like a game that I, I would, I would like to play, but I never even thought about that because we don't glass much up here, but in Missouri or places like North Dakota, we definitely could do that. I, I like, I like stuff like that too. It's just, it's tough to pass the time, but it's also, you know, just fun to do. And speaking of guessing that, that made me think of something I was telling you about my Missouri buck from 21. Yeah. Um, when I shot that buck, my dad was there and he's standing over the deer looking at it on the ground and he goes, I think it's going to score about 156 and five eighths. I know I already told you, but we got back to the house and the next day we put a tape on it and it was literally to the eighth of an inch. And it was just a guess. I was like, what in the world? Like, I don't even know how that's possible, but <laughs> I, I was, I was shocked. Dude, your crazy. dad's rain man for whitetails. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's, so. That's he cool. I wish I had that, that skill. ranging game, though. See, yeah. I I've gotten yeah. pretty decent at ranging, um, but yeah, the whitetail scoring deal—I've never really scored a ton. Uh, in fact, this mm-hmm. this year, it was after, or I guess it was still during archery season. Uh, my buddy and I put tape on a couple bucks that we had hanging in his shop. And that was the first deer that I've ever actually scored. And I was like, man, this Mm -hmm. is kind of fun. Like I could get behind this. And then at a few different shows and like outdoor events that I went to, they'd have a buck hanging on the wall. And it was like, guess, guess the score, the winner gets like this e-bike or they get this whole hunting package. And I am so far off. I need to get much, much better (laughs) at scoring deer because there were times where I like, I, I mean, I was like 20, 20 to 30 inches off and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I thought I had, I never thought I had a great idea of scoring, but I was mm-hmm. like, I didn't think I was that bad. So that's one thing that yeah, I'm yeah. definitely going to work on. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of funny because my little brother is actually better at guessing than me because like, in the monster buck videos, they usually tell the score, the score, you know, after they're behind the deer. And yeah. so we would always play the game, watching him try to guess the score before it pops up, you know? And I mean, I grew up watching those and I think my 10 year old brother is probably better at guessing them than I am. It's pretty funny actually, but um, I don't know how he would do or how I would do in a, you know, seeing a deer in person, like on a shoulder mount or something, guessing I probably wouldn't be quite as good, but um, it's just kind of funny that he's, he's really good at guessing him already. See, maybe I just need to kill more 170 inch plus deer. And then when I go and guess these ones on the wall at a show, I I'll be a lot yeah. closer. I just don't have a lot of experience with that size deer up close and personal. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. I need to do. I, um, my dad's buck he shot when I was like two years old. That's the biggest one we have in our family. Um, but deer, bucks are hard to come by. I mean, big bucks are hard to come by up here. Um, my little brother, when I was just talking about Dustin, he actually shot his first buck this past year in the Wisconsin youth season. I have a, a little clip of it in the video um, that I made, but it grossed, I think, 169. And it's his first buck. Jeez. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, I'm like, seriously, dude, like, this is your, I think, second year hunting or first year hunting. And this is the first buck. Um, I told him he just got to hang it up now. I, mean, I don't know how you go on to that. I've been hunting for 12 years now. I haven't even seen a buck that big in the woods, so. Yeah, I didn't even know uh, Buck Scott that big. Luck, I, guess. I thought that was only on ranches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
high fence in South Texas. That's where you got to go to get the yeah, hand fed whitetails. Uh, they're snorting protein. That's right. Um, dang, man. That's yeah. That's an impressive deer. Well, dude, I, yeah, I feel like we could continue talking for hours and I hate to cut this short, but I know it's getting late and I want to respect your time. Um, before we go, I've got a question for you, uh, because we already covered where people can find you, where they can watch your YouTube. Uh, my final question for you is number one bucket list hunt. And this is going to come down to what species where, and you don't have to give like a specific location, but like a general, you know, if it's Alaska or Florida or Africa, Mm -hmm. um, and then what Mm -hmm. weapon would you use? So my number one dream hunt is for sure um, bow hunting caribou in Alaska somewhere. I I don't even know where to go for caribou in Alaska, but I'm actually, I've been looking into it more and more. And that is for sure my number one bucket list is, um, yeah, to shoot a caribou with a bow. I, I've been dreaming about that for so long and I can't wait for the, can't wait for the day to actually be able to make it happen. That, that just seems insane to me you know, being up there and seeing these animals, because that's the type of animal that I've only ever seen on TV and in hunting shows, Mm -hmm. but the places that you go to hunt them are so remote. And that alone is intriguing. You know, like I would go up to those places just to camp, but then to think you could have a shot at a caribou, especially a big migration of caribou. And to see that on the craziest Mm -hmm. landscape in the most remote place in the U S yeah, I, I could see why that's number one for you. Yeah, hundred percent, especially growing up here in Northern Wisconsin, to be able to see like 3000 animals, like you're trying to hunt going the same. I don't even know what I do. I mean, <laughs> like, this doesn't feel real, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I can it, imagine that. that not the Alaskan, right. Yeah. The Alaskan landscape is looks just so beautiful. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. I would, I would go up there for anything. Didn't have to be hunting, but to, to be able to pursue an animal like that as cool as caribou are. Um, yeah, it, it would be unreal. Yeah, man. So you said you've been looking into it. Do you have a time frame of when you're, you think you're going to make it happen? I don't know yet. Exactly. I'm hoping two years from now, that's kind of, I'm okay. hoping, I'm hoping I can make it happen by then. Um, it's definitely an expensive hunt for sure. I mean, if you do it yourself, which is probably what I'm going to end up doing, um, it's definitely cheaper. But I was just listening to a podcast recently and they were saying how transport services are booked out like years already. So I'm like, well, shoot, you know, I I really need to get on this and I might not be able to go, you know, for three, four years based on transportation. But the other place I'm actually been looking into is Greenland. Um, Oh, apparently they have a lot of caribou there and it's decently cheap. I mean, cheap is relative term, I guess, when it comes to this kind of stuff, it's cheaper than a lot of other places. Um, And I think it's, over-the-counter tag um so my dream is definitely an alaskan caribou so i guess it'd be a bearing ground caribou i believe but if if that say it's something where i couldn't go because transport's booked out till 2027 or something like that which i don't think it'd be that drastic but greenland is an option for caribou sooner um i don't think they're nearly as packed out as alaska is that brings up a great point and it's the transportation side of things because i've always just viewed the transportation mm-hmm. as being expensive right i'm like oh yeah it's going to be an expensive deal but to think about them being booked out to where it's like it doesn't matter if you have the money for it like they're booked 
I'm going to have to look into that also because I, I'm planning on doing a moose hunt here in the next couple of years. I mean, every year I'm like, I'm going to do it this year and then it doesn't work out. But realistically in the next two to three years, I plan on going up there, but, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. you've made a good point. I'm going to have to look into transportation and make sure I can even get a bush pilot to drop me off. Yeah. Yep. And that, that's something that I didn't know about either, but there again, listen to East meets West. Man, I can't even, I don't know why I can't say that tonight. I butchered it three times already. <laughs> East meets West. There we go. Um, he had a guest on, Bo Mortonic had a guest on named Kyle Hansen, and he works for a service that, um, that books. I think he works through Outfitters or something like that. Um, and I've already checked his website out. I haven't contacted him yet, but I also need to save up money for this one too. So I gotta, I gotta kind of plan a little bit more for it. But um, that's what brought to my attention this booking uh, issue. So really glad I listened to that because I, you know, I otherwise probably wouldn't have heard about it. Yeah. Yeah, man, you've got my wheels turning now. I'm going to, I'm going to have some (laughs) research to do. I've got a hunting video on YouTube to watch tonight and then some research to do on getting some, uh, getting a pilot booked. So Man, thanks again for hopping on. And yeah, for real. I mean, you're not that far away. When I go up to Wisconsin, I'm not that mm-hmm. far away when you come down to Missouri. So we definitely need to make a hunt happen soon. Yeah, absolutely. Just hit me up on Instagram or anything. Um, I guess I didn't mention my personal Instagram is Tazers. That's K-T-A-Z-E-R underscore 22. That's, that's my personal Instagram. So yeah, feel free to hit me up anytime. And anybody who listens to this who has interest in hunting northwestern Wisconsin, hit me up. I mean, there's so much public land around here. I would be more than happy to show some guys around uh, to give them a chance. I'm not promising you'll see anything, but you might see a wolf before you see a deer, but I would love to show you around. So, And my mom makes some mean rice and beans and chicken, so you got that to look forward to if we go over to their place for supper. So, Dang, man. Yeah, that... That sounds like a good time, and uh, we'll have to have your brother tag along. That way, he can get on. Yeah, get us on hundred and yeah. almost seventy inch deer. Oh yeah, oh, he would love that. <laughs> You're like, no, I've I've got first dibs. Also, if my brother shoots another one that size, <laughs> I'm gonna shoot my brother. Um, yeah, yeah, just about. I'm gonna I'm gonna ban him to be my permanent cameraman. <laughs> there you go. Uh, just make sure he starts getting the shots, uh, all of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, man, thanks again for hopping on. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, you have a good, you have a good evening and I'm excited to hear how that caribou hunt goes here in the future. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. This is really fun. I really appreciate it. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. Man, what a great chat with Terry. And I encourage all of you guys, go check out his video. I have watched it now. He smokes a monster. In fact, they double up on really, really good bucks. And it's definitely worth giving a watch. Um, if, If you guys haven't traveled to hunt, I would highly recommend it. If you've been listening to me for any amount of time, I talk about it all the time, going out, trying new things, trying new hunts, going different places. And there's something just totally different about it and you never know what you're going to come across i mean you could stumble into just a killer hunting spot whether it's for ducks or bass fishing or deer hunting or elk or moose or who knows what but you're never going to know until you get out there and give it a go so i highly recommend it i'm going to be traveling more this year i hope to get back to wisconsin i spent a lot of time traveling and hunting other places 
but Wisconsin is a place that I need to focus some more time on, especially with my bow. So that's going to be on the agenda this year, but enough about what I've got going on. You guys should be getting out there chasing after sheds. You got to find some. I got to find some. That's what I should be doing. I need to end this podcast. We're going to. So that's it. Until next time, guys, always choose adventure and God bless.